Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Lane, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yeah, Jim, thanks. It, it, it's Wayne. It's Wayne. Wayne, I okay. Yeah, that's good. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, my house takes gets water in it when we get the heavy rains, and I'm considering uh, buying uh, dehumidifiers like you were talking earlier. Uh, you compared them to uh, your central air conditioning unit. unit. And I'm, my question is, uh, would if if a, if a dehumidifier would work in three days or five days, would it, would an air conditioning system work just as well in five to seven days? No. No. The dehumidifier will do a better job. It will. Okay. Yes. Okay. Is How much a, water are you getting in the home? Oh, well, one to about two or three inches is all we got this time, but it was mm-hmm. enough to cut to cut sheetrock. Yeah. Yeah. Is there yeah, a certain... definitely definitely a dehumidifier, and then you can use some fans to. Uh, you know, move the air around better. Right. Uh, so typically in a home, you know, your air conditioning system, for instance, only has one inlet going into the air conditioning system. Now, some of them have a, a, an intake in every room, but most of them don't. Right. And so the air conditioning system blowing the air around is how it's, it's moving the air into the dehumidification of the unit itself. If you're going to get dehumidifiers... I would get a couple of them, and you're going to find they're not very expensive to buy. And spread them throughout the house and either have fans or the AC system on circulating the air in order to move the air and not have any stagnant corners. Okay, okay. Is there a certain brand of dehumidifier you would recommend? No. Or no they're all gonna, I... Yeah, they're all going to just pull air or you know moisture out of the air. Okay, okay. Now, one thing you may want to consider uh, is eventually, because, you know, once you start flooding like this, that the trend is it's going to get worse over time. Uh, You know, houses can be raised up out of the floodwaters where you don't have to worry about it any longer. It's not cheap, but it can definitely be done, and it puts the value back on your property as well. Right. Are there some negatives to raising houses? I mean, I've heard of... Aren't there some horror stories from trying to raise houses incorrectly? Absolutely. If you don't know what you're doing, you can tear the house up. Uh, I don't make any bones about it. I own Due West Foundation Repair. We raised our first one nine and a half feet, and that was, uh, gosh, got to be 25 years ago. Uh, We've yet to have an incident raising them, but you hear stories where people try to hire cheap contractors they get the house part way up and don't know how to finish getting it up, or they walk away with the homeowner's money. Money, yes, you hear that all the time. You you got to know who you're dealing with when you're doing it. Yeah. Do you use bell bottom piers? What do you, how do you do it? I use uh, in most areas a press pile. Okay. It all and, depends on the soils. And you have to do an interior uh, piers also, or just Absolutely. exterior. No, you got to do interior as well because you're basically changing the foundation from one that's sitting on the ground surface to one that's sitting on pilings now, and so it's got to be supported everywhere. Okay, and and I've got roughly a 2,500 square foot house in a story and a half. I, I would say about 1,800 square feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, ballpark of what I'm looking at. Not a clue. Because it's not only the square footage, but we got to look at the shape of the house and things like that in order to price it. Sure. Okay. Uh, but I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'll be upfront. It's, it's not cheap. It, it does get expensive. But once it's up, you don't have to worry about it any longer either. Yeah. Are you talking thirty to fifty, or twenty to forty, or what um, kind of range? Yeah, you're going to be up in the higher end of what you were talking about. Thirty to fifty. Okay. okay. And more. Or more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. All righty. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help. All righty. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. And let me tell you, if you're in an area where you're having to pull permits for rebuilding, a lot of the municipalities, 
And it's not just the city municipalities. Even the, the feds are stepping in. If you got to put more than 50% into the value of rebuilding the home, they're requiring you to raise it to current flood standards. And so in some cases, that could be raising it, you know, 18 inches. In others, it could be four or five feet. I've, I've done several over in the Meyerland area, and a lot of those were anywhere from two to five feet in order to get them to meet the flood elevations that the city requires. Again, that's if you're putting more than 50% back into rebuilding. You know, that, that's just something you have to take a look at. Talk with Andy in Pearland. How are you? Hey, how are you doing, Jim? Doing wonderful. Um, had a quick question for you. Uh, had a couple of um, quotes to get my driveway re-leveled. And uh, I, I have uh, two different companies. One does mud jacking and the other one does polyjacking. And yeah. I was kind of leaning towards the polyjacking because the the holes are a lot smaller. I don't I don't know. It's kind of a new technology. Have you heard anything about it? I actually have a truck and do that kind of work. And yes, oh, okay. the, I have both the mud pump and the uh, poly truck. Uh, urethane is what it's called. And uh, the difference is when you use mud pumping, you're drilling a two inch hole. You're pressuring it up with mud using the pump to pressure it up and you don't have as good a control as you do when you use the urethane. The urethane you're drilling typically a 5 8 inch hole and you inject a little bit it expands, you inject a little bit expands, you have better control. When you're using the mud pump it's it's basically on strokes and pressure and so all of a sudden you, you'll be pressuring it up, it's not moving and all of a sudden boom it starts coming up and if you're not quick enough to shut the pump off, you can overlift it. And so, right. and and especially on driveways and sidewalks, it's very easy for the material to squeeze out the sides. When you're using the urethane, as the material expands, it's already setting up. It sets up in literally seconds, and so you don't have as big a problem with it squeezing out on the sides and and in the uh, joints and things like that. Um, is it rare to hear that a company will give you a, a warranty on their work for five years? Is, is I mean, the polyurethane companies said they will warranty it for five years from future sinking. Are they warrantying that the driveway is not going to move, or are they warrantying that their material will hold up for the five years? That the, the driveway won't move as long as I reseal all the joints. Okay. That, that is crazy. Uh, okay. I mean, they can do it. Um, I would definitely check out how long they've been around and how long they've been doing this. And the main reason I say that, think about what causes foundation movement, driveway movement, sidewalk movement. It's the soil moisture change. When the, when the, mo when the soils dry out, they shrink. When they get wet, they expand again. That material, whether you use mud pumping or urethane, is not going to change that process. So right now everything's expanded. When we start drying out again, and we're expected to have a normal rainfall type summer somewhere down the road here, uh, the soils will start to dry out. They're going to sink. And okay. when they, if they come back and pump it up again, and then we start raining next fall, the soils swell. It'll literally pick this, the driveway up higher than it was. So... Can they come out and do it? Sure. I mean, it really doesn't take much for them to come back and open up the holes and drill again, but it doesn't a lot of times make good sense to do it unless there's been a lot of excessive movement. Uh, right. It's, it sounds pretty crazy to me to put a five-year on that. All right. I appreciate the information. You bet, Andy. Take care. Thanks, sir. Bye. Bye. In fact, I haven't heard of anybody offering that length of, of warranty on the polyurethane as far as on driveways and sidewalks and patios, things like that. Pat, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I my have, pleasure. I have two questions for you. First is the kitchen door to the outside that uh, really has no covering over it. The bottom is finally kind of uh, worn out. I need to replace the door. 
and I believe it's a, a, a fiberglass, not a fiberglass, what kind of doors? It's not metal. What's the other kind of door? Well, you got wood and you got fiberglass are typically the two. Okay, I think it's fiberglass. Okay. It's okay to replace with the same kind of door, and roughly what ballpark figure should I be looking at for the door cost and installation cost? Well, you know, obviously it'll depend on the door that you buy because, I mean, the doors can run anywhere from $250 to basically the sky's the limit, but an, an average is going to run 250 to 1400 for the door itself, depending on which one you choose. And then installation of the door, you're going to be looking at probably another 250 on top of that. Uh, who could I contact you? the door uh i'll tell you if you want to call daniel zermino at zermino remodeling and his number is 832-660-6202 he can help you out with that all right great and my second question has to do with the big storm of april 19th uh came home and found the damage uh, to the ceiling on the second floor, and as I traced it down, it looks like water actually came down the vent pipe to the AC heater unit uh, and dripped out where it joins the collar on the AC heater unit. Uh, it wasn't bad, but it was enough to you know, wet the decking in the attic, and that mm -hmm. went, went through and uh, caused the uh, tape to supposed to join to peel away and fall off. Is is it necessary or is it likely that the cap on that vent on the roof needs to be replaced? And if so, who would do that? Would it be AC or would it be uh, a roof company like Guardian? Well, to replace just the cap, I would call the roofing company, like Guardian Roofing Systems, uh, to do that. Now, has it has it leaked since then? Uh only when we had one more of the really, really heavy rain. I've been in the house for 10 years. Had yeah. Bad rain. But it's just in the this last yep. year that I've noticed the problem. Okay, so you, you obviously have something that's probably changed a little bit up there. Yeah, give Guardian Roof Systems a call and let them come out and take a look at it just to verify that everything's okay and they can make whatever changes are necessary. And with that, I'm going to have to let you go. Alan, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, Jeff, got a question for you about the, around the edge of my foundation. Okay. It, it looks like after this rain this last week or two that um, I don't. Uh, there may be toads. They've dug underneath it about every foot along that one edge, about the size of your hand. Is that something that they do? They burrow under the edge of your foundation? Not that I've ever seen. Okay, well, I've got something burrowing under the edge of my foundation, pulling that dirt out. And how, how big a hole? About the size of your fist. In the past, when I've run into that, it's been armadillos. Oh. Okay. They can do that. And then, uh, that, you know, that's that's the one that goes under a lot, but possums go under as well. Okay. Along with other types of animals. But, you know, what's happening is our grounds are getting so saturated that they're normal places where they're burrowing are getting full of water. Your mm -hmm. foundation is large enough that if they go back under it a little ways, it's still dry. Yes. And so that's why they're hitting the underneath foundations and such right now, where normally they'd go under a tree that the, the roots around the tree and everything are just so saturated. Uh, it's just all mud now. Now, should I get some extra dirt and just kind of water it back in those holes and fill them in? Well, if you can get the the critter out of there, yeah, that would be fine. In fact, if you once you get the animal out, uh, it really won't take much to close the holes up. But and this is for everybody listening who kind of thinks, well, I'll just ignore it because I mean they're just little animals; they gotta live somewhere. I had a call one time from a lady who said she had a, uh, oh, what did she have? She had possums under her home, and uh -huh. so we went out, we dug underneath there. No exaggeration, it was a 20-foot diameter hole when we got underneath the house that was three uh -huh. feet deep. 
I mean, yeah. they had just created a heck of a cavity under there. Well, that's what I'm trying to prevent from happening. Yeah, but what what you got to do is get the animal out of there first. Okay. Uh, you know, because even if you fill those holes in, they're just going to go right back in. Okay. And so the hardest part is getting rid of them. Normally, what you'll end up doing is trapping them and carrying them somewhere else. Yes. Yeah, it only started up here since the rain this last yeah. week or two. Yep. Okay. Now, one thing you can do, if you do, if you can, you know, make sure you got them out. Mm -hmm. One thing you can do to, to keep them from just plain burrowing back in is lay down something like a, uh, a chain link fence or something along that line yeah. that they can't just dig through. And that that will kind of discourage them from trying to go back in. Okay. Yeah, that would work. All right. I appreciate the help on this one very much. You bet. You take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Charlie and Burleson, welcome to WBAP. Uh, good afternoon, Jim. Hey, got a little challenge for you here. Why we got brass uh, plate covers over the electrical switches, and the wife went to turn uh, it off for the dining light, and she said, "Come here, feel this," and it was really warm. What would cause that? If the switch starts shorting out, it'll actually generate heat. And not only is it generating heat, it's running your electric bill up when it's getting warm like that. Because that means there's a uh, short in there. Okay, because yeah, I haven't had it in there all that long, maybe eight months. Uh, yeah. Now, the first thing to check, though, is not if the switch itself is bad, but make sure the connections are tight. Because oh, when okay. the connections are loose, it'll start arcing across there. It'll still work a lot of times. But when it's arcing like that, it's creating heat, running up the electric bill, and that, that's what you'll be feeling. Okay, hey, I hear your music. I all right, Charlie, take care. We'll talk to you later. If you've been fighting with all the rains, and let's face it, most of us have, uh, one thing I'll, I will caution everybody on, don't think it's going to stay this way forever. Eventually, the rains are going to stop. And you're going to have to get used to it being dry again. So if your yard's getting used to all the rain and, and everything's looking great, now's when you really want to start not watering your yard, but being prepared. Okay, here's how I can maintain my yard. Don't let it go to the point where it's dead before you want to start watering. And I'm not encouraging we waste water on yards. But our yards right now are being, the moisture's being soaked deep down. So the roots are actually digging down. For the, you know, uh, I shouldn't say the roots are digging down. The roots are actually probably staying fairly high on the surface. Uh, the smart grass is digging down deeper for the moisture. When you start watering your yard again, you either need to soak it deep down or don't water at all. These short little waters that we do of five minutes and it waters the surface, that trains the grass that it's got to have that water every day to survive. We want to soak it deep so the roots go down. So you can only that way you can only have to water maybe once or twice a week versus every day to keep the grass looking good and keeping alive. And don't forget, cut the grass taller. I know right now we're able to get away with cutting it nice and short. But once we start drying out, and hopefully that's soon, you want to cut the grass a little longer. It will actually survive better that way than cutting it short. Anyways, Maria, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hello, how are you? I am doing wonderful. How about you? Well, I'm calling in with a question regarding, uh, I live in a, it's a double-wide mobile home. And okay. I think it's a 1987. And I've called and called insulation companies, and they don't want to touch doing any work uh, as far as insulation on, on the top. Uh, but I, could, I can really feel the heat. You know, every summer gets, like, really, really hot. My air right. conditioner goes into overdrive. So I was calling in for advice on what, what I could do. What do you have for a roof on it? Uh, it's, it's, it's shingles. I have shingles on it. Okay. And do you have attic space up there? I, I, it, I have a very little because it's got cathedral ceilings. Gotcha. So I guess the question then is, what are you wanting the insulators to do? Because in order for them to insulate it, it's got to have they got to have a space to put the insulation. 
And you know what? One time we did roof work, like when we put on the shingles, and uh-huh. I could see there was space. Right. But nobody wants to go in there and, I guess, struggle with it. Yeah, because there's just probably not enough access for them to get around to, to do right. anything. Uh, and so, you know, on a regular house, you'll typically have a pull-down staircase. You, they go up and they can spread the insulation that way. On a mm-hmm. mobile home, there's typically not an access to the attic. And the only time you can truly get to it is if you're replacing the roof. Then mm-hmm. that would be the time to add some insulation. In the meantime, do you have sheetrock ceilings? Yes. Okay. There's a product out there called Cool Coat. And the website is koolcoat.com. And basically, it is some ceramic beads that you can mix in with the paint. And uh-huh. it helps to reflect the heat. And if you'll get some of that, mix it into the ceiling white paint and paint your ceilings. I'm not going to say it's a cure-all, but it'll go a long uh-huh. ways towards making you more comfortable. Okay. Well, I, I do appreciate that. Part two, I have a second issue. Okay. Uh, we bought solar screens because we have like two or three skylights up there, and we yeah. bought solar screens to make a huge difference, big difference. And they're right out of Carrollton, Texas. But uh, we noticed we didn't have any leaks or any issues but then we put the solar screens on, and one of them started to leak. So I don't know if the water was, like, catching underneath the lip and, you know, following that seam because you just cover it, and it had, like, a little elastic all the way around. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I, I was telling my husband because I, I, I do more of the handiwork around the house than he does. Uh, I was telling him that maybe we can go buy some, you know, some sealant or a caulking, just something to put underneath that lip and see if that maybe alleviates because it just with all this rain it just started leaking well and a lot of people are having issues with all the rain getting leaks where they didn't have leaks before so i doubt that it's it's i I really doubt that it's related to the solar screens i I think you're 100 percent right that there's probably a seam there and with all these belly washer rains we've been having uh it's just getting some leaking in through the seam and probably if you seal it up you'll be fine but uh is the leak in the window itself or is it where the shingles are meeting the wingle the, the windows i haven't gone up there to look because my husband's the one that went up there to put on the the the, the skylight covers but uh oh it's his fault there, you got to blame him i mean that's just that's just the way it is the husband did it wrong uh-huh. okay i'm teasing you he didn't uh, <laughs> now, r- really, what more than likely where it's going to be is where the shingles are meeting that skylight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my guess is if there if there is flashing, there could be a leak on the flashing. If there's not, where they sealed underneath has probably come loose. Mm-hmm. And you maybe just need to seal along the shingles where it meets the... What skylight. do you recommend to use to seal it, like caulking or that that roof tar, the black roof tar? Is there anything if it's, you recommend? If it's that? if it's on the shingles where the shingles are meeting the skylight, you're going to use that roofing uh-huh. tar. If okay. it's on the skylight itself, then you would use a uh-huh. siliconized caulk. Uh, okay, Sili- silicone. Yeah, not okay. silicone, but a siliconized right. caulk. Siliconized. Okay, and the other one was called Cool K O O L. Correct. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to look into that. I, I really appreciate it. It's nice to have somebody to call in and talk to because I usually have these questions and nobody to answer them. Well, I love when people call because that makes the show go so much easier. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Maria, you take care. Have a good weekend. Gary, how can I help you? Thanks for taking my call this afternoon, Jim. Uh, I'm looking to replace some expansion joints and my driveway and sidewalk and looking for some suggestions on the appropriate product to do that with. Uh, one of the main problems I have is uh, my driveway is on a severe slope. So a lot of the self-leveling types of products so wouldn't seem to be the best product to try to use in that application. Yeah, there's a product out there called Trimaslab. 
it's an expansion joint repair um, and basically it's it's a rubber it's, it comes in a roll and they've got different sizes so you order basically they send you out a sample kit that has the the different sizes that they carry and so you mm -hmm. can you can try it out see which size you need for your for your openings and then they'll send you the product and you can do your repair that way um, that just you just put that into the joint you have to do anything on once you put it in is there some nope. sort of sealant you put over it no it's 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 actually uh the way it's built it it actually seals itself it's got these little I wings gotcha. that stick out so as it slides down in there it's self-sealing um and it comes in a three-quarter inch one inch inch and three-eighths width and so each size has a different uh, size opening that it will accommodate. Like the one, the three-quarter inch will do anything from a five-eighths to a seven-eighths opening. Okay. And it's called and, Trim a Slab? Uh, trim a Slab. The, the website is trim-a-slab.com. Uh, if you want to give them a call, it's 832-618-3721. Thirty-seven twenty-six, and I, I've actually seen it in a couple of stores recently. Uh, up till then, this was the only way I knew to get it was to to literally call them up and order it. So uh, you can maybe call them, and they maybe have a store around you that uh, carries it as well. Okay, does it come in different colors? I've only seen it in the concrete gray. Gotcha. Okay, that's good enough. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks for uh, your help, Jim. You bet. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Dan, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Dan. Good afternoon. Uh, hi, hi, Jim. I'm sorry. This is Dan. Uh, thanks for we, taking we, my call. Now, Dan, we either made you really nervous or you're giving me a fake name. Which is it today? Uh, it is nervousness. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, the my question is regarding the HVAC system in my home. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a four ton Lenox system, which is a uh, about uh, almost twelve year old, and uh, there is a very minor leak detected in the condenser coil. Uh -huh. uh, but the AC the the air condition inside the home is working perfectly without any issues. Uh, my question is. Do uh, can I can this be repaired or is it cost effective? And the second question is: Do I wait until the air condition system breaks and then uh, replace it, or what, what is what is your advice? And uh, uh, again, um, is it okay to replace only the condenser coil, or is it available for our well? Systems? It will depend on where the leak is, if it can easily be repaired or not. Uh, you know, if, if the leak can be found and it's accessible where it can be easily repaired, yeah, you can fix it and continue using the AC system. Obviously, you, you, can't, you don't want to continue using it without getting it fixed because you're, re you're releasing, you know, your coolant and you have to continuously get it recharged and that's not a good thing. Uh, as far as cost effectiveness, if you got to start replacing those coils you're going to get into a pretty good investment in it. A 12-year-old system, at that point, depending on how much it's going to be to do those coils, you may want to just look at a new system. Uh, my rule of thumb is if I'm getting around 50% into the system, I'm going to look at a new one, especially if I'm looking at a 12-year-old system because the life expectancy of a system is really typically going to be around 12 years now you can get 20 and sometimes even 30 years out of a system but it's so inefficient by that time that you're better off to replace it and i don't know what the sear rating is but on a 12 year old system you had more than likely either a 10 to 13 sear you're right you're, you're correct absolutely it's a yeah. 13 uh, year system and uh what would your advice be uh uh are uh, the same Linux systems with 13 tier available with the new uh, regulations, or um, you know, do I just replace the condenser only with a new R410 system and leave the evaporator coil and the blower motor everything 
in no, because it, it, and, that, and that's the problem. First of all, the 13-seer systems uh, are now being done away with. Everything has okay. to move up to a, I believe it's a 16-seer, is what they said is the minimum now. There are still some that's 13s out there available, but once those are sold, there's no more being manufactured. That doesn't mean you can't get the parts, though. So, like, okay. on your okay. system, you could get a coil still for it. However, you know, you mentioned converting the 410A, you cannot combine the two systems. There are some okay. conversions where they can clean out all the old gases out of the old system and and redo it. Uh, I would be very reluctant on a 12-year-old system to do that. So if, if you're going to uh, replace the coil, stick with the old coolant that you have now. Um, okay. Have you gotten any prices on replacing that yet? Um, I'm I'm working on it, and uh, well, a couple more questions, if you don't mind me asking you. No, go ahead. Uh, do I have to replace even the heater and the blower motor, or because they are working fine? But is it going to be too expensive to replace it on their own instead of uh, the whole system? Well, if you replace the whole system, you would be replacing the heater and blower motor as well, because that is part of the system. Okay, okay. And um, which kind of a brand would you recommend? Because I've seen Rude and Ream, but again, um, they're less pricey than a Carrier or a Train. Yeah. So which one would you, you have? Would, uh, with the Lennox that you have, you have a better system than than the two that you just mentioned. Uh, okay. You know, I would I would tell you stick with what you've got. You know, if you want to stick with the Lennox, you're fine with that. You can take a look at the carrier systems, and really, you know, at this point in time, take a look. If you're going to look at, at new systems, take a look at that carrier infinity system. With those adjustable okay. speeds they have, they are much more energy efficient, and you could easily be looking at an 18-seer system or better. Uh, they're okay. very quiet, and mm -hmm. uh, they last a long time. You could call Advent Air, and uh, they sure. can give you some pricing on it. Their number okay. is 972-221-4373. Awesome. Okay, I will do that. And uh, uh, with the, uh, you know, with the carrier or a train or a Linux system that uh -huh. you were mentioning, um, and you were mentioning in the ad about uh, 1600 or 1800 off yeah. uh, from Advent Air, is it on the carrier infinity system or is it any system... Uh, that is sold by Advent Air. I think that's strictly on their carrier infinity system, but you can talk to them and they, they'd be able to answer that better for you. Okay, great. Thank okay. you so much, Jim. I really appreciate that. Dan, you take you care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Talking about painting, you know, if you are painting, don't. Don't think what you see on TV is the way it goes, where you know you're just flip flopping paint every direction. You, if you're first thing you want to do is cut everything in with a brush. And I know on TV they show putting tape on everything. I still do it by hand. Now I did have my daughter when when she was priming, tape around the doors and stuff, but I do it by hand, and and so I cut the ceiling in uh, by hand, and it just goes for me. It goes faster that way. Anyways, uh, when you are using the roller, and, and by the way, cutting in means you use the brush to do all the outside edges and around doors and baseboards and light switches and all that stuff. Take the covers off, use the brush around them, because you, you can't get close enough with a roller. And you do the corners with a paintbrush, because you can't get all the way to the corner with a roller. Then you use the roller. Well, on TV, they always show you're just going every which way with the roller. You can't do that. You got to have one plenty of paint on the roller. Roll it on after you've got a, a you know like I say a three four foot wide section of the wall rolled on. Start at the top and drag your roller down to pull everything in the same direction. What that does for you if you're using a an eggshell a, a any type of sheen type paint, it pulls everything in the same direction so you don't have kind of a blotchy look on the wall when it's done. And just an FYI, when you're rolling out, the biggest mistake I see people make is they try to roll the paint out too thin. 
If it's sounding like you're pulling Velcro, you don't have enough paint on your roller. Get more paint on the roller. It's not You're not trying to see how thin you can put it on. You're actually trying to put it on as thick as you can without it running. So again, if it's starting to sound like Velcro, you don't have enough paint on the roller. Get some more paint on and then roll it on out. And in, in, in what direction you're going as far as while you're getting it on there doesn't matter. What matters is that last stroke that you pull it from the top and pull it down just to get everything going in the same direction. Richard, this is Jim. How can I help you? Oh, hi. You know, I, I have a question. I have a deck uh, in our backyard, obviously the deck's in the back, and it needs to be repainted. And I've seen a lot of advertising about this new type of paint that covers all blemishes and makes your deck like new. And it's kind of pricey, but it does supposedly a wonderful job, and it only takes one coat. And I just want to know, is this for real? Is this actually work? Is it worth the money? Well, what, what it is, it's, it's, it is an extremely thick paint that has material in it that will fill into the, the gaps and cracks and stuff. And, yes, it, it actually will do it. How pricey is it? Well, I, I, the last time I looked, it was, you know, like $90 for, okay. for almost $100 for, five, for a, a bucket of, you know, five-gallon bucket. A five-gallon bucket? Yeah. To be honest with you, that's not too pricey. Okay. I just let uh, I believe in high buying high end paint. Uh, you know, like I'm getting ready to paint my house uh, the the rest of it because we like the color that we picked for the bedroom and we're gonna paint the rest of the house. And uh, when I was picking out the the paint, they asked, you know, do I want a, a medium or a high grade paint? Well, I I always go with the high grade. It's now sixty five dollars a gallon. Wow. Yeah, but. I'll paint the house, and I won't have to worry about it for probably 15 years. Okay. All right. Well, I think I'll give it a shot. And, you know, I had heard about it, and it just almost sounded to be too good to be true. But if it fills all the all the um, blemishes and whatever, it probably now, is exactly what I need. So Yeah, it's, it's going to help with the cracks. Now, if the crack is too wide, no, it's not going to seal it up, uh -huh. but it, it will definitely help with the, the smaller cracks, uh, give you a smoother surface to walk on again. The whole trick is, don't let the deck get too bad before you do it. Okay. All right. Okay, well, thanks a lot. You bet, Richard. Have a good afternoon. Again, our number, 214-787-1080. That's 214-787-1080. John, this is Jim. Welcome to KRLD. Hey, I was just looking at regrouting the shower. Kind of wanted to know what that process would be like. A lot of work. A lot of work. <laughs> uh, are, are you, when you say you're going to regrout, you're regrouting the whole thing or, or just piece, like the corners? The whole thing. Okay. Basically, what you're going to have to do is you've got to get the old grout out down at least an eighth of an inch so that you got space for the new grout. Uh, do you have the 4-inch tiles on it, or how big a tiles do you have? Uh, I've got some 4-inch, and then I've got some 1-inch. Ooh, that's a lot of work. Um, what, I would, what I would look at doing, Dremel has a tool that can go onto the Dremel tool that you can use to actually uh, power get that grout out. Now... Mm -hmm. You can do it with a hand tool where you're dragging across it to pull it out. But if the old grout is in there pretty solid, that Dremel tool will grind it out much faster than trying to pull it with a hand tool. Mm. I, don't know if, I don't know if you have the Dremel. If you don't, I mean, you'd, you'd end up buying the Dremel plus that uh, end for it. But after you've done that, you got to clean everything up real good. You mix your grout, put the new grout in. The whole trick on grouting is after you've filled it in, you've got to clean the grout or clean the tile real good. Now, you let the grout sit after you've put it in and you start washing it off. Then once the grout lines have dried somewhat, you literally have to keep washing the tile with clean water until the water stays clean when you're washing it. Mm -hmm. And then you're, bu you're buffing the, the tiles to, to smooth them out again. 
So it actually is a lot of work. I, I guess the first question I have is, why are you replacing the grout? It's, it's got cracks on it, in, in it, and the uh, water's starting to get behind it. Darn good reason to replace it. And yeah. are the tiles going to fall off? They shouldn't. I mean, if the tiles are on good still, they shouldn't. Um, but, you know, if, if moisture has gotten behind it and there's sheetrock behind it, it, it can loosen the tiles and they pop off. And if that starts happening, you got a bigger problem anyways. Sure, sure. I appreciate it. All right, John. Good luck with that. And uh, for just everybody listening, that's a lot of elbow grease getting the old grout out. Uh, it, it, there's nothing easy about doing that job. You know, a lot of times people get inspections when they're going to sell their house. And uh, I, I got an email regarding that. My parents are in the process of selling their home. Inspection was completed and has noted typical repairs needed for a house built in 1967. GFIs, AFCI, some repairs, replacing vinyl siding, small plumbing issues, probably new valve stems, seats replacement, replacing toilets. Uh, really not that big of a job. I was thinking somewhere around three to 5000 Do you have a couple of reputable companies you could recommend? I would like to use a general contractor or just one company to get all completed simultaneously. One additional question, when it pertains to the electrical codes, are homes grandfathered in or do all homes, regardless of your built, have to repair based on current code? And, and, and this really brings to mind that, okay, just because you get an inspection that points out the fact that not everything is up to current code does not mean you have to bring it to current code. That's something for you and the buyer to negotiate. Now, Putting in GFIs and things like that, not that big a deal. Changing out the toilets, you know, and, and I, why in, in why inspectors do this, the old toilets use three and a half to five gallons to flush. The new toilets are a gallon and a half. And so the, new to the old toilets don't meet current code. You're no longer allowed to put those in. But if it's already there, there is no reason to replace it if it's working properly unless you want to start conserving water. I'll give you one cautionary note on that, though. The old drain lines were sloped for the heavy water going through, the heavy flow of water. In some cases, with the new low-flow toilets, it starts clogging up some of the sewer lines underneath the home. That can be dealt with, but I, I just want to point that out. Just because it shows on a report that something doesn't meet current code does not mean it needs to be changed out to meet current code. That is something that you, again, take up with the buyer to see if they want to make that change. And, and those toilets are a great example. Do you really want to do away with the high-flow toilets to put in the low-flow? Granted, the new ones work fine when they first came out, though. Those low flows were a real problem. Uh, they, they work much better now than they used to. And a lot of them have a pressurized tank now that actually shoots the water out faster. So it gets everything moving better. But, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, again, GFIs, not that big a deal. Replacing the vinyl siding, that's not a code issue. That's just a maintenance issue. So uh, some of that stuff you just have to look at. Um, plumbing issues valve stems, seats, things like that. Again, those are maintenance issues that, yeah, most buyers are going to want that kind of stuff brought up to be in current. So as far as somebody to do it, normally on, on little items like this, there are make-ready companies who, if you talk to your realtor, already knows these guys that work in the local area and the realtors are used to using them to make houses ready for closing or for sale. Uh, there's also handymen who really can do wonders on these improvements. I had a, a, an email come in, and uh, yeah, th th this is one of those that a, a lot of times we get a little confused on what is going to add or subtract value from our home. Question is, one small bath is shower only. Second bath is a tub-shower combination. How much value... Would the house go down if tub shower is converted to a large shower? And I had to read it a, a second time, but basically what they're asking is, 
they've got one tub in the house. They're talking about taking it out and making a house that has two showers, one large, one regular type size uh, shower. And it's not that you're going to lose value in the home. What you're going to lose is buyers. There's a lot of people out there who plain would not buy a house that didn't have a bathtub in it. So it, it, in, in essence, I guess you could be losing value because you may have to come down a little in price in order to uh, get somebody interested in the house. But really, it, again, it's not so much the value that you're going to lose as much as the number of people who are willing to look at buying the house. It's much like a garage. You know, a lot of times people will convert the garage into part of the house. And so now you got a home with no garage. I personally won't even consider buying a house without a garage. That, that's just, it, you gotta, I gotta have a garage. Um, and, and so again, that limits your buying audience, you know, the, the, the people who will actually even bother to come out and look at it. And, and let's face it, most people nowadays are looking at paperwork prior to ever seeing the house. The, the days of driving around through neighborhoods and looking for a house and, you know, looking at just the curb appeal and saying, that's the one I want to go inside and look at, are gone. Most people are looking at the houses online. The realtors are pulling up based on your criteria. You want a three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage. Uh, and then and they'll ask you, do you do, on a house like this, they'd say, well, I've got this one that doesn't have a bathtub. Most people are going to say, no, I don't, I don't even want to look at it before they ever come out to see it. So I would discourage anybody from doing away with all the bathtubs in a house. You always want to keep at least one tub. The, it, it, you know, you can do something else to, to have a shower, but you got to keep that one tub. That's just my opinion. Uh, same with a garage. Don't build in your garage. You got to have, unless you're going to build a, a second garage, you know, a detached or add on with a garage or something, you need the garage in order to keep the the buying power or the selling power of the house that's that's just that's just the way it is out there mike welcome to krld thank you i have a quick question i have a wall between my living room and and i, I want to know how do i determine if that's a load-bearing wall we want to take it out so we okay. don't want any problems and you said it's between the living room and what room Living room and dining room? Okay. Typically, the way you can tell is go up in the attic, and if there is, if your ceiling joists are running in the same direction as the wall, it will not be a load-bearing wall. If the ceiling joists are running where they're sitting on top of that wall, you know, in other words, running the opposite direction of the wall, and especially if there's any joints in the ceiling joist that meet above that wall, that is definitely a load-bearing wall. Well, I know the ceiling joists run perpendicular to the wall. Okay. So it's only a 30-foot-wide house, which means the ceiling joists are only 30 feet wide. Right. So that would be a load-bearing wall then? Well... If they're if they're, it, well, it'll depend. If it's up in your attic, is it a truss system or or not? Yes, yes. If it's a truss system, chances are good it's not going to be load bearing then. Okay. Because the way a truss system works is it's it's designed to go all the way across. Uh, if there's really any question on it, though, when, you, when you're looking at it up in the attic, uh, you can get a, uh, an engineer to come out and take a look at it and tell you if that's a load-bearing wall or not. And it really doesn't cost very much money to do that. I mean, really, for, for a couple hundred dollars, they'll do that. Okay. Now, the other issue you got to run into, though, when you're taking walls out like that, what do you have for flooring? Concrete floor. Okay. Then, then you shouldn't have any issues with that. 
you know, sometimes people have wood floors and uh, when they take it out, they, they've got to try to match flooring back and stuff, and that, that's pretty miserable. Um, yeah, I, just from our discussion, I really doubt that it's going to be a load-bearing wall. Uh, when, you said it's between the living room and the dining room. Uh, is there a, is the wall running from front to back or from side to side? From side to side. Okay. Uh, so it's it is probably dividing the front half and the back half of the house. Right. How wide of uh, wall are you talking about taking out? It's only about ten feet wide. There's an opening on each side of it that, that would be a doorway. Okay. And would there is one side of it going to be by the outside wall, or is this kind of in the middle of the house? It's in the middle of the house. What you may want to take a look at then, just to be on the safe side, if you're going to leave walls on each side of, of what you're looking at taking out, you could put a beam up in the attic that runs across and use hangers onto those ceiling joists to hold them up into place. Then you could take the wall out, even if it's load-bearing, and not have to worry about it. So extend beyond the op opening, and we would attach the yep the ceiling joists to the beam. Correct. You, you you take a beam, and and the easiest way that a lot of times this is done is if you'll take two, either two by sixes or two by eights, and uh, nail them into an L shape. You know, so you got one laying down, one standing up. Uh, and then you, you can put that up into the attic, go all the way across your opening, and like two of the ceiling joists beyond the opening. Uh, you attach all the ceiling joists then to this new beam so it supports, holds the ceiling joists up when you take the wall out from under it. And you shouldn't have any problems with that. I would probably use a 2x8s instead of 2x6 on it. Okay. Okay. Thank you for the advice. You bet, Mike. Take care. You know, and, and anytime you're remodeling something like that, you do it definitely. I mean, Mike's going down the right road. Verify that a wall's not a load-bearing wall before you take it out. Because the last thing you want to do, pull the wall out and then start having the, the ceiling sag later. But there are ways to put, like we just talked about, beams up in the attic. And since we're only talking a 10-foot wide opening, uh, what we just talked about will easily take care of that. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.